0: This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria.
1: Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi, from California, and uh, afternoon in New York, right? I'm um Yep. A little bit after 1 o'clock. Well, we've gotten through January, which I think can be a pretty tough month for a lot of people when there's been a loss. And uh, moving into February, but uh, February's got a big event coming up, right? It does,
2: because we have Valentine's Day on the 14th, and that can be really difficult for people. For not only widows and widowers, but for also for, I think, anybody. For children, I mean, you give your sometimes you give your uh, siblings, et cetera, or your parents Valentine's, Valentine's cards, so, yeah, it's,
1: it can be really, really hard. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, the 14th, so we've got 12 days. But for a lot of people, it's anticipation is rough. Well, I'm really glad we've got a, a show today uh, talking about a little bit about about widows and widowers with Valentine's coming up. And we've got a person coming on that I met at Soaring Spirits, Michelle Neff Hernandez's um, camp widow that uh, she had last summer. And um I was very fortunate to be able to sit by Carol Brody, and Carol is one of the most dynamic, most fun people I have ever met, Heidi, and I'm hoping that you'll get to meet her soon.
2: Mom, I'm going to tell you, I don't even know Carol, but I'm on her site right now, and that doesn't surprise me. Anyone that's out there listening, if you go to her site, you can tell that she is a fun, dynamic person. And she has amazing shoes on that site, so I would tell you to go there, as well as a lot of other resources. <laughs>
1: and by the way, it's womenwearstilettos.com if you want to uh, go on and look at it while we're talking to her. That's kind of a fun thing to do, to go on her site uh, while the show's on. Well, let me tell uh, you about a little bit about Carol before um, we say hello to her on the show. Her husband, Mike, was a police officer, and he had a two-year two battle with Lou Gehrig's disease. And Carol and her young daughter were left with emotional and financial ruin, and she eventually left her previous career in order to educate and bring messages of hope and promise to those who've been touched by the pain and challenge of loss. Originally attended as one book, Widows Wear Stilettos, became a bestseller and it evolved in a global support organization. And we're going to be talking about that organization today. Well, Carol, welcome to the show today.
3: Thank you both so much for having me. It is great to be with
1: you. It's really fun to have you on today. Well, you know, your book is, I mean, you know, you have so much more than a book with your website and organization and everything, but your book, Widows Wear Stilettos, is full of an incredible amount of advice and thoughts and energy for people who have had a loss of a spouse. You know, I'm going to just say one thing it says immediately is that people don't have a clue. Can you talk about that?
3: (laughs) Well, and you know, I don't mean to be insulting to people, but um, I quickly found out that widows are not embraced, as one would hope. And certainly, uh, widows that are chronologically younger are not embraced as mm-hmm. one would hope. And really the book is filled with everything that I was looking for and could not find. Mm-hmm. That is that is that is the fastest way of boiling the book down. Everything that's in there were things that I was looking for. Education, information, direction mm-hmm. that I was unable to find.
2: Well and I would think I would think Carol, if you're a young widow, that people would want to say things to make you feel better, which actually wouldn't make you feel better, like, you know what, you're still young, you'll find somebody else.
3: Oh, that's a whole other show, isn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. That's actually, that's in the book. That is one of the most common things that a chronologically younger widow will hear. And you know what, I, speaking on behalf of our people, I can absolutely guarantee you that nobody, regardless of age, was going out on a manhunt a half hour after the funeral. And the problem mm-hmm. is, is that most people are told that they're young and you'll find someone else. You have plenty of life, and they're told this at the funeral. Okay. Wow. Even if all of that is true, timing is everything, and that's just not the right time.
2: Absolutely. And, and the reality, and the reality is that even when you do find someone and he's an amazing person, that Mike, the, what, the person that you loved, is gone, and no one can ever replace that person.
3: That's such an important point, Heidi, is that that person that you have lost is always going to be a part of you. There's no replacement. There's no filling a hole. You have to recognize that, you know, we always use the the phrase, he was the love of my life. And people hold that up kind of as a, a barometer of hopelessness, if you will. Because he was the love of my life, and now he's gone. So I've caught my limit, and I don't get to love again. And I'm very quick to teach That, yes, he was the love of your life, but that life has also come to an end, and now you're in a new life. And in that new life, you are entitled to new love.
1: Mm, I love that. You know, it reminds me a little bit, Carol, of the, you know, uh, of having lost a child is that the good one died. You know, there'll never be a child as wonderful as that. And it and it's very tough for people when that kind of feeling's out particularly for other children, other family members, you know, that special person is gone and we remember them as being perfect and the reality is they're not perfect. And uh, you know
3: that's so true. You know, um loss elevates people to sainthood. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have to remain realistic. And I teach that, too, is that this is not speaking ill of those who have departed. It is speaking factually of those who have departed. And I like to point that out in the book, too. My late husband was a phenomenal man. He spent his entire life in service to his community and his country, both in the military and as a police officer. But you know what? Mm -hmm. My husband never replaced the toilet paper when it ran out. My husband never called when he was going to be late, which isn't so great for a police officer. My husband needed the window open in January. He was not a perfect person. And we need to keep the human element there with our beloveds as well.
1: Now, Carol, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, I loved it when you said in your book, get out of your sweats, (laughs) get out of your sweatsuit. Get your stilettos on. Talk about that. <laughs> Who is that girl in the mirror?
3: That comes from a very personal place uh, for me because when we were in caregiving mode, basically it's a day-to-day exercise in survival. And without even realizing it, you are no longer really paying attention to yourself because you just want to get through the day uh, whole and in and, and one piece, really. So after Micah passed away, uh, my daughter and I, and she was 11 at the time, we were going to go to the movies, and without even thinking, I just threw on these horrible sweats, you guys, really, ceremonial burns, <laughs> horrible, and um, horrible sweats, and no makeup, and threw my hair in a ponytail, and Gloria, you've seen my face, you know what it takes to be me, And but I didn't care, I just, I did not care, and my daughter looked me up and down and said, you're not going out like that, go get dressed. And she pulled out an outfit and I, I put it on and all of a sudden I looked in the mirror and I went, oh, there you are. And that was one of those aha moments where you realize that I'm still here. And that became such an important lesson to teach. I know that things like fashion and beauty and diet and exercise sound superficial on its face, but when you start to really take care of the outside... And then you start to take care of the inside with diet and exercise and, and really paying attention. You're taking the very first proactive steps back into life.
1: Now, And you've got in your book some your favorite recipes for people, exercises that they can do. I mean, I'm amazed at, you know, it's not a hugely fat book. It's readable. It's great. And you have all these little tips and, and goodies for people to get them going. I love it.
3: Well, thank you for that. Again, this was that I was looking for and could not find. And one of the biggest complaints that we receive from our membership is, I don't know how to cook for one. Or, you know, I just go to the drive through Well, I'm, a, I'm all about drive throughs believe me. But if you make a, a diet out of that, it's not going to reward you so much. So I started including some of our favorite healthy uh, recipes that are quick. They can be accommodated to one person. And it, it doesn't take a lot of effort because cooking is not one of my passions. And um, my favorite thing to make is reservations. But mm-hmm. that's not practical all the time either. So uh, that that was actually a kind of a request from the, the membership. The, the recipes were a last-minute add-in. That's
1: great. Well. One of the things Heidi and I talk about, and Heidi mentions it often, is about reassuring children. Heidi, can you talk a little bit about about that? About the nine eleven families, the widows, and and the kids?
2: Well, you know, Carol, I've been working with nine eleven widows for ten years, and one of the things—and you know this because I'm preaching to the choir here—one of the things that uh, I found with the kids is that they are so afraid that since their father has died, that maybe their mother's going to die too. Oh, and so, you know, how to reassure your surviving children that they still live in a safe and predictable world. And what would be your thoughts on that?
3: That, uh, that hits very close to home because, to be very honest, uh, my daughter, uh, Kendall, who is now 22 years old, lives on her own, is in a career that she loves, still gets kind of squirrely when I sneeze. Um, it's, mm. it's something that, it's like loss itself, it becomes a part of you. But what, mm-hmm. you, you, what you have to do, you have to be honest in an age-appropriate way. Don't. This is not the time to come out with the "everybody's got to die sometime speech. But at right. the same time, you do reassure them that um, you know just that 9/11 was it was a terrible, horrible, dark, seminal moment in our history. But it doesn't happen every day, and that that you're going to be there for a long and it's going to be a fabulous and healthy and happy life. And while you're doing that, you still have to create the environment where a child feels safe and uh, open to discussing the person or people that they've lost. They They also are free to be scared, angry, quiet. Whatever they're feeling in that moment, that atmosphere must continue to be created. And that cue comes from the parents. If you decide that grief time is over, the lesson that you're sending to your child is, well, I've got to put my feelings in my hip pocket. Those feelings are going to come back in some some form someday. So if you continue to create the environment that at any time it's okay to have a picture of the person that they lost up in their room or their locker at school or in their car, that they can talk about it, that they can remember them at the holidays in fun and festive ways, not necessarily in sad way. That mm-hmm. will all that creates a healthy methodology of dealing with of dealing with grief. And again, all of this, I I would love to tell you that we didn't have any issues with that. But this is really born of trial and error on my part. So
1: Carol, um, let's talk a little bit about Valentine's is coming up about the challenges of holidays, but also Valentine's reminds me. Of dating and people reconnecting, so let's kind of talk about how you deal with the holiday, but also give people some thoughts about dating again and, and tips on dating. And
3: that's again, it's a whole other show. <laughs> and you know, uh, at uh, at Camp Widow, where we met, that is the workshop I teach is uh, is dating. The the first biggest issue that we have in the widow community is that widows feel as though they're cheating their late spouse or disrespecting or dishonoring the memory of their late spouse if they date again or perish the thought, fall in love again. And I have to start out by reassuring everybody that the words at the ceremony regardless of religious denomination were, till death do us part. You held up your end of the bargain. If you're widowed, Mm -hmm. you, you did what you were supposed to do and you're still here. So that means that just, just because you're still here, you are entitled to live and laugh and go out and love once again. Love is truly infinite. It's not well, and like we said earlier.
2: What's interesting about this, Carol, is that there's so much judgment by society. In other words, you're dating too soon or why aren't you dating yet?
3: Oh, my gosh. And you know what? It's, it's one of those two columns. Nobody else said this is the mm-hmm. perfect time for you to date. And the interesting part, Heidi, is that the majority of those people are not widows. I've never mm-hmm. had another widow cast a on when I decided to date or who I decided to date. And you won't find that within the community. But outside, they, they, there is that judgment. And I mm-hmm. advise widows, if somebody won't let go of whatever, whatever side of the fence they're on, you look at them straight in the eye and say... How is your widowhood journey going?
1: <laughs> That's a, I like that. a
3: great response, honey. <laughs> I mean, you know, because well, the bottom line is it's your life that you have to live in the way that you see fit. And as long as you're not coping in a destructive manner, whatever you choose to do in the time that you choose to do it is
1: you know, one of uh, my father in law married uh, probably about nine months after his wife died. And uh, my sister in law was horrified that her father would do that. Oh, my goodness. He married somebody that everybody had known for years who was a widow. You know, she was a part of the community. And uh, but yet, you know, uh, my sister in law felt that it was too early. I I think that's so fascinating.
3: It is fascinating. And what she's probably saying or thinking is that is too early for me. And that is something that I would not do. Well, that's great for her. And Mm -hmm. God forbid, if she should ever be in that situation, she won't do that. For me, that would have been a little uh, soon as well. Uh, For me, my timing in reentering the dating world and eventually remarrying is good for me. It worked. For
1: me, and and how long was it, Carol? Tell us kind of your pattern.
3: Well, for me, it was about I would say a year and a half after Mike's death before I went back into the world of dating, and uh, for for a number of reasons. But the most, uh, the biggest reason is I know my personality very well. It will shock you to know that I am a people person, (laughs) and, (laughs) uh, and and when you're a people person, your inclination is to constantly surround yourself with people. The downside of that is that you are likely to make all the wrong decisions for what you think are the right reasons, simply because you want to fill that void. And I knew that I had to get to know myself as this new person that I never expected to be, and only then would I be able to invite another person into my dynamic. And the reality is is that between Mike's death and the time I remarried was nine years. And But again, that was my choice, my reasons, my timing, and it worked for me. I wouldn't yeah. say, well, you know, everybody else has to wait nine years or you will lose your birthday. That That's ridiculous. So when society casts those judgments, when they really don't have an inside view, it's not fair.
1: Yeah. You know, with my father-in-law, he was in his 70s. I mean, how much time have you got? You know, and he didn't want to be alone.
3: And we find that. The, the, the older that somebody is when they are widowed, the more likely they are. If they're going to remarry, they generally do it, you know, quicker than, you know, sooner than later. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, like you said, how much time are we do you have?
1: Right, exactly. Well, Carol, um, it's almost time to end the show. And I want you to tell people uh, about your community and your website and, and uh, you have a newsletter and talk a little bit about that.
3: Well, the best place to start is at widowswearstilettos.com and that gives all the information on everything. We have in-person support groups across the United States. We have a new uh, nonprofit foundation that is going to benefit the widow community in three distinct areas. Oh my gosh, we have all kinds of things going on, and my second book will be out in the spring. So we are in the middle of getting all that uh, ready to go. Uh, Shout out to our friends at Viva Publishers who are very busy with that. And the best place to start is at widowswearspallettes for all of the information. And I love the
2: name of your of your second book, Happily Even After. Oh, that's great. Oh,
3: thank you so much. I wish that's I could take credit for that, but that is my amazing editor, because it is the book is unique to the grief genre. There, it is a question and answer book, and the questions are written by actual widows who wrote questions concerning every possible subject and scenario you could imagine, and a few you wouldn't even think about, and, and it features my answers and additional commentary, and the reason that the book is so fantastic is it is actually written by the Widow community. How
1: fabulous. Well, I know that uh, this has piqued our audience's interest, and I want to remind you that you're going to be able to see Carol Brody and Heidi and I at Soaring Spirits uh, Camp Widow. April 20th through the 22nd in Myrtle Beach. And that is going to be a lot of fun. So we hope that you'll go on Soaring Spirits site and sign up for that camp. Also, August 10th through 12th uh, in San Diego, California. So, Carol, we loved having you on the show. And it's so much fun meeting you. And I can't wait till Heidi meets you in Myrtle Beach.
3: Oh, it's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to see the two
1: of you. All right. And again, thanks a lot for being on the show.
3: Thanks, Carol.
1: Fabulous. Thank you both. Well, Heidi, what a a great show. Isn't Carol great? I mean, she has such energy.
2: Her energy is amazing. And like I said, if you all want to shift your energy today, visit her site. I'm on there right now. The colors, you'll feel an energy shift because you can just feel the life that she has. and, And what a tribute to Mike that she's living her best life right now. Because that's what he would have wanted, and what a great way to honor his memory.
1: Absolutely, and what a great thing for all the widows out there to see that there is happiness and great things uh, in their future. They just need to go out and maybe buy themselves some stilettos today, Heidi. Doesn't it make you feel like you want to buy a new pair of shoes? Oh,
2: uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is a good start. Absolutely. Go buy some stilettos. I love it.
1: <laughs> Thanks for listening today. And we want to remind you that we have an international calendar on our site now. And if you have, want to read about events or look up events going on in your area, in the whole world, you can go on our calendar. And also, if you do events on grief, loss, hope, and healing, you'll be able to put them on our international calendar.